Hey folks, welcome back to the DC Three Cast. I am Brian. With me, as always, are Zach and Vince, and we're going to talk about DC Comics, specifically the DC Comics released on the twenty fifth of July, twenty eighteen. But first, two tiny bits of news um, that are not really worth going too much into, but I wanted to share them with my boys here. So there was a bit of news that came out today about the Brian Bendis Batman Walmart story. Did you guys see this? I did not. Did you see who it was announced? The colorist of it. Which may not seem like a big deal, but they got Dave Stewart to color this. Wow. Has he done any DC work recently at all? I think... Oh, man. He didn't color any of the Fiumara stuff, did he? I feel like he did some cover work. I think he's... I Yes. I think that's right, but I mean that's a but that's a big get. That's it. a big get for DC though. Uh-huh. Yeah, Dave Stewart is oh, yeah. the best colorist in comics and has been for a long time. And the fact that he's doing this Walmart story for Bendis is is pretty huge. Bendis tweeted out the first image by uh, who's who's doing the art? Uh, um, Darrington. Darrington. Yeah. He, t- he tweeted out the first colored image of it, and it looks impossibly dope. Mm. Um, so there's that little bit of news. The other little bit of news was shared to me by our friend Kevin Gregory, host of the Make Mind Multiversity podcast, which Steve Orlando tweeted that, um, you know how he'd been saying he'd been working on a dream project for DC? Mm-hmm. Electric Warriors is not that dream project. Oh, He has something else coming oh. up that is that is the dream project, which is insane. Because oh, I'm very aroused. Yeah, I thought that Dream Warriors would have been, not Dream Warriors, Electric Warriors would have been the... Uh, you know that project been the been the yeah. one, yeah, yeah. So, those are two little bits of uh-huh. fun DC news, I think. Oh, yeah. one one oh, more thing you. too. That one more thing the the Wildstorm news. I oh yeah. yeah. So, um, Warren Ellis announced the next two Wildstorm books, even though he did not announce dates for them. Um, it is Zealot and Wildcats. Wildcats is no surprise. Is Zealot a bit of a surprise for you guys? Uh, it's only it's only surprising that I don't think we guessed it the way that we did Wildcats, but like it makes total sense. It's not like a shocker, you know. Right. right. What'll be interesting is if it is actually um So Zealot is Lucy Blaze, who I think has already showed up in Wildstorm, right? Unless oh I'm yeah, thinking yeah. Of, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it'll She's be interesting been, yeah. to see if it's if it is her specifically, or if it's like another take on the character or on the concept. I figure with like using Michael Cray as they have, it'll probably be her, but she hasn't played a huge role. Although it's been interesting, like Michael Cray hasn't been in the main book as much since his book started, right? And I wonder if that will shift. I mean, presumably, if he survives his his solo title, it'll be interesting to see if he'll sort of re-enter the main book at the end of that. Mm-hmm. Although we're only six months away from the end of that book, which is which yeah, is insane. not six months. I guess it's. I guess I was doing the DC solicits today, so um, October is eighteen. So we're you know we're like eight or nine months away from the end. Okay. But, but still, that's you know. It's just uh, 
it's insane how fast they're running. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, let's let's dig into the comics. Let's start with Action Comics number one thousand and one, written by Brian Michael Bendis, illustrated by Patrick Gleason. Um I'm really interested to hear your take on this because I think we've been very effusive in our Bendis praise and I I'm sort of shocked at how different this feels than what we've gotten so far from Bendis on Superman, but how I still really enjoyed it. What did you guys think of this issue? Yeah, um, I thought it was definitely weaker when compared to his first issue of Superman. Yeah. Um, I think I, I, I like the daily planet focus, but then there were parts of this issue that seemed really unfocused to me. Uh, on the whole, I enjoyed it. On the whole, it was it was just fine. Um, but you know when they when they got into that like underground sort of villain stuff with Mister Strong, and then they start throwing out like lettuce, yogurt, <laughs> and then ultimately the Red Cloud. Um, all that stuff kind of. I feel like it was I was in the weeds a little bit, and I know we're not supposed to know those characters, but everything that Bendis has done with Superman so far has been this really nice like core exploration of the character, and and that is getting away from that a little bit, which is fine. That's how superhero comics, you know, they got to build up villains and they have to create, you know, side stories and B plots and things like that. Um, but then then I felt like this issue just wasn't as tight as what we've come to come to know from Bendis to Superman so far. Zach, what did you think about that? Um, I'm the odd man out. I liked this issue better than Superman. Really? Oh, wow. interesting. Yeah. The art was great. The art was fantastic. Yeah, so I want to talk about the art for a second. This feels so different than the Pat Gleason um, from the Tomasi Gleason run. And I think it's because I'm not positive but i it seems like i guess gleason is inking it is different colorists but i also think gleason is inking himself i think usually he has an inker um i think is it mick gray who usually inks him or is he the colorist i know he's usually associated with gleason oh that's a good question now i should have i should have researched that beforehand um it does seem mick gray is an inker so yeah so i think he usually inks gleason do you know what this? Uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Zach, but you mentioned how different this feels visually. To me, mm-hmm. this feels a lot like the old Max Fleischer Superman cartoons. Yes, yes, 100. That's what I kind of wanted to get at, and part of it, I think, is like Superman's build. Yep. A small thing is just the way the trunks yep. are drawn. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, and I love that. And and I almost kind of feel like there's some of that tone here as well. I, I, I feel like even compared to how Bendis writes Superman over in Superman, this feels a bit more... Classic. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm, I'm on the same wavelength as you. I, I preferred Superman number one, but I I really, again, like I nobody was less excited about Bendis coming to DC initially than, than, than this guy. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't believe how much I like what he's doing with Superman. Even when he's doing vastly different things in the two books, I really like both takes. Mm-hmm. Yes. The things I loved in this issue, I loved the bit 
I, I just love the whole extended plot line of of Clark finding out who is besmirching his good name and <laughs> and like disciplining this young boy and just how great the the dialogue was like the one panel where like superman's like do you want to know what your mother suggested i have you do and the boy is just like terrified <laughs> oh which it's it's like super dickery but in a really fun and nice way yeah <laughs> yeah um and then all the like just the art such small touches like on the opening splash page um where Clark is catching all the bullets mm-hmm. and his arms are just like moving out to the side but he is there posed in the middle yep. um oh it's it's beautiful it's so good i think this is maybe some of my favorite gleason art ever yeah. And then Dan DiDio makes a cameo. Dan DiDio. Yep. That was a great page. That was really fun. Can you guys name all the all the players there? Um well Mr. Freeze. Mm-hmm. Brainiac, Brainiac. Lex. Is mm-hmm. that Egghead? I th- I think that's Humpty Dumpty. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. That makes Dr. sense. Savannah? Yep. Uh Parasite. Parasite. Uh-huh. Uh Dan DiDio. <laughs> yep. Um, I don't know who oh, that what's is. What's that guy's name? Bootface. Bootface. Yep. Yep. Boot is that face, really his name? Yeah, Bootface. Zach was from uh, earlier from the 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 Tomasi and Gleason Batman and Robin run. Okay. Batman Batman kicked him so hard that it left a boot imprint in his face. Incredible. Yeah. Um and then Hugo Strange. Yeah, Hugo Strange. And then Smush. Smush? Yeah. Which is another Tomasi and Gleason uh joint okay. there. Okay. And then the last one's Grant Morrison with an eye patch, right? I thought it was Brian Bendis Brian Michael with Bendis with an eye patch. Yeah. Oh, you're right, it is. But yeah. I haven't we commented before about how Bendis is evolving into Grant Morrison. Yeah, they really they See, all are. I, if you look at if you look at the Lex Luthor up top, that's that's angry yeah. Grant Morrison. I, I yeah. think that essentially the three jokers of the DC offices are Didio, Bendis, and Morrison. <laughs> Jeez, you're one of the three jokers. We're the three jokers of the DC three cast. We are the three. Through this. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, uh soon we're gonna have a trinity of trinities when it comes <laughs> to Jokers. <laughs> So because he's wearing an eye patch, though, this is Evil Bendis, right? Like, uh, obviously, yeah, obviously, yes. Or it's Nick Fury Bendis, or it's... Um, Ultimate uh, Universe Bendis, yeah. definitely. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, Vince, was, was there something in particular that you... The, aside from the sort of scattered nature, nature of the villains, is there anything else <laughs> that you didn't really care for? Um, No, it just didn't... It. Uh, no, I, I liked the issue in the end. It just didn't feel as tight. You know, Superman number one was like the best Superman thing Bendis had done yet, I thought. And it, just because it was so tight from beginning to end and so confident about what it wanted to be. And I felt like when it got to the villain stuff here, it was a little like, oh, I don't know. I it, I wasn't as sure as why I was supposed to care about some of this stuff that they were saying, you know, and. And then ultimately the the red cloud mercs one of them anyway, and 
yeah, I don't, I don't know. It just felt, it just felt like it was not as exciting as as the other stuff Bendis has been doing. Um, uh, but, but outside of that, would you say there was nothing you had a problem with? <laughs> I was wondering when we were going to get to that. <laughs> should, should we all do our line readings of that? Yeah, hang on. What page is it on? It's on page... Uh... Uh, let's see. It is on page... Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. All right, so Zach, do you have it ready? Yes. You go. You... What should I should I just read the line itself? The one line. How about this? Read the line. How, be the criminal. How about I be Superman for you too? Then what do you guys be Superman for me? All, All right. right. So I'll be I'll be your okay. Superman. I'll... <laughs> you can take my breath away. I'm notes. Um, <laughs> my hero, baby. Uh, okay. Um, can I have your hunting knife, please? Oh, I ain't gonna try nothing on you. Can I have your hunting knife, please? Oh, I ain't going to try nutting on you. <laughs> I purposely read that like Tim Heidecker. <laughs> Can I have your hunting knife, please? Oh, I ain't going to try nutting on you. <laughs> you were, uh, that's the, I know you probably haven't watched The Tick Show, but that is Jackie Earl Haley's uh, The Tick. <laughs> oh, is that is his voice. Oh, okay. The app, you like nailed oh, okay. it. I've been reading my daughter the Chronicles of Narnia, and I realize that like every creature voice I do is basically just uh, this guy, so, so yeah, Mister Beaver, uh, uh, Dr. Cornelius. Everybody is just like half Bernie Mr. Sanders, Thomas. yeah, half uh, yeah. yeah so. Okay, yeah, all right, very good. Um, yeah, that's great. I used to when. Zoe and I used to read comics, and we'd read the Scooby-Doo ones, and I would do all the Scooby-Doo voices, and I'd try to come as close to like their classic mm-hmm. iterations. And I got by the end, I got a pretty good Scoob down, <laughs> and a pre- yep, and a pretty good Shaggy, and everyone else was kind of sketchy. But yeah, I'm not going to do them I was now. Say, but give us your Velma, come on. No, I, <laughs> I can't, Velma. I don't even. Jinkies! I I can't do I can't do a female voice. Sorry. <laughs> this is going to severely limit your voice acting potential. I know. I know. Right, any other action thoughts? Uh, let's see. Oh, the, we got to talk about the ending, right? Lois writing her book. Yeah. yeah. I actually was legitimately surprised by that. Here's my question. Do we think that this is actually Lois? I don't know. You never know in comics with with that. You know, yeah. it could always be a, a Lois bot. Yeah, it just seems to me like it, it would be. Uh, it seems like it'll be classic comics if everyone thinks it's Lois, but it's really not. Because have you read the yeah. solicits for Is It One Thousand and Four? No, I did, but I'm like a little fuzzy. Hang on. Uh, pulling it up. Talk amongst yourselves for a second. Um, I just think I think it, you know, to say like, is it a fake Lois or is it a fake whoever is? You could guess that for like literally any twist. I I'm more interested in wondering whether like like if it is a, whether it's a fake Lois or a real Lois, does she publish a book? You know, does this go to print? 
Um, because either way, that blows up, potentially blows up Superman's life, you right. know? The, uh, so here's the action 1004 solicit. Uh, Superman confronts Lois Lane and wants answers. Where is John Kent? What happened during Lois's trip into space with Jor-El? Why didn't she contact the Man of Steel when she returned? And most importantly, does she still love him? Or is the world-famous reporter looking to let Clark Kent down easily? Lois and Clark's relationship is redefined in this issue illustrated by Ryan Sook. Um, to me, that just that just screams misdirect. Mm, Superman gets cucked by his granddad in 2018. <laughs> or by his dad. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> That's dark. It is dark. He starts talking about his his watching his planet die and she just gets taken in and Yeah. Yeah. It's dark. Let's let's not let that happen. Yeah. Yeah. It won't be the darkest thing we talk about tonight though. No. <laughs> That's a nice tease. I wasn't wrong. There's actually two stories in that book that I find incredibly disturbing. Yeah. Um, But yeah, we'll we'll get to that in a bit. Uh, We're going to talk about this slightly out of order. We're going to talk about uh, Mira, Queen of Atlantis, number six, and then Aquaman after that. Um, Oh, I can't abide that. Not for Vince's sake. I have to stand (laughs) up for my DC3 compatriot. (laughs) What are we... Why are we doing this? Why have I become the pincushion? For one joke. For one joke we do. I'm I'm the whipping boy eternal of this godforsaken show. Oh, to be, to, to be fair, both because of your age and your uh, geographic proximity and your taste in music, you are the emo boy of the DC3 cast. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. So there we go. Um, yep. Anyway... Mirror Queen of Atlantis, written by Dan Abnett, illustrated by Lan Medina. This wraps up the miniseries that I did not realize that this was going to be tying up the same week that Aquaman brought Mira back into the book. I I, I knew that obviously these two, these two stories are connected somehow, but it was I was a little bit surprised at just how how quickly and sort of efficiently they connected back together. Um, mm-hmm. Should we talk about these separately or talk about them kind of as one story? Uh, uh, we can talk about Mira and then and then flow into okay. Aquaman, I think. It's... Okay. So what do you guys think of the issue? I, w- I was a little disappointed. Were you disappointed in the fact that it didn't really wrap up the story? No. I, I, I was disappointed with one key thing. And it was just like that they have that that there was all of the cool character work and build up being done with Orm, and then at the end he's just a bad guy again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was definitely yeah. a bummer. I mean, uh, for me, that was heartbreaking in like a really great way. Like, um, like like at the end when he's pleading to go back to his family on the land and, and Mira says, no, you're going to be a, a prisoner of Atlantis for the foreseeable future. Like even, I know it's brutal, but like, I don't know. To me, it just, it was brutal in the right way, but I, I I understand what you mean. You're talking about even before that choice was made, right? Yeah. Yeah. And even that part was even, 
that's kind of a secondary thing with the issue that the conclusion seemed very rushed. Like, um, Mara essentially just like finds the power and, and overcomes, which is great. Uh, but it's kind of like this is the expected outcome and it didn't really feel it it felt like it happened because it was the expected outcome if that makes mm-hmm. sense yeah um not because of any like in story reason yeah i'd say that's fair. um and then wrapping up with orm the way they did it it felt both like an afterthought but also just a really sad afterthought because it's it's like only at the end after he's been defeated does he kind of half-heartedly you know express his desire to go back and be with his family and it feels so weak and fake and and it, it just it, it completely diminishes all of the character growth it, that he that he experienced mm-hmm. so now we're back to just you know weak bad ocean <laughs> master just in time for the movie see, yeah. see <laughs> what's a bummer about that is if abnet was going to be on the book for another couple of years you'd think maybe that would be a plot point going forward. But I can't mm-hmm. see Deconic, and I, I don't know, maybe she will. It just seems to me like that's not the type of plot thread that a new creative team will continue on. Yeah, I have I have another thing like that that I, that I lament, that I will lament in the Aquaman issue, okay. but I'll, I'll wait mm-hmm. until we get there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, was it just me, or, like, and, and this, is, this is a tiny, tiny nitpick, but I feel like in this issue... Lam Medina threw way more like bubbles coming out of people's mouths when they were talking, kind of out yeah. of nowhere. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There was a time like Merc or somebody yelled, "Commence!" Like, maybe, and it looks like he it looks like he's like spitting water in the face of the reader. Or maybe it was King. Yeah, yeah. maybe it was King Narius. Yeah. yeah, he was. Just, it looked like he was just vomiting. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, I like the part where. Uh, King Narius was going to say something like, you know, oh, we can't, we can't uh, let, we can't award uh, Mira for this. And then um, the the old lady or whatever says, uh, but the people will turn on you the moment you break the codes. And I like that because as we all know, like when a leader breaks norms or like breaks codes or laws or whatever, they, they definitely, there's consequences. Yep. So I'm glad that those real life uh, sorts of things ended up in this story. I'm yeah glad someone was holding his feet to the fire because we wouldn't want uh, someone to be breaking norms here. I'm talking about our dang president. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I thought overall this miniseries really succeeded. I think that this issue does feel a little bit rushed, which is is kind of frustrating because I feel like there were times in the first five issues where things felt like they were moving along a little bit too slowly. But I think taken as a whole, both on its own, specifically the Orm stuff with the family on the surface, and in conjunction with Abnett's Aquaman run, I think this book was was a fitting... Um, showcase for the character and continued what I think is Abnett's you know, I I think this is if not the best Aquaman story of my lifetime then certainly right up there with them yeah yeah, I can get behind that so so let's hop over to Aquaman then Um, 
Aquaman number 38, illustrated, I mean, written by Dan Abnett, illustrated by, is it Ricardo Federici? Yes, Ricardo Federici. Yes. Um, Zach, you had something you wanted to talk about here that you think won't necessarily be picked up on in a new in a new run that you wanted to talk about. Um, dolphin. Um, I I feel like she she was introduced in this arc, featured in really prominently at the beginning of the arc, and then kind of was cast aside and in um, favor of kind of just the the overall like the the a plot you know the uh, retaking the kingdom or whatever and she was featured really prominently again in this issue so much like so much so that i was kind of reminded that she was a thing um in this and yeah i i just don't from what we've heard about where deconic's run is gonna go which i don't know did you guys see the stuff about how he may be made magically to look more like jason momoa yeah. <laughs> or oh, something God, i hope not yeah um due to like interaction with uh aquatic gods and things and um it, it kind of sounds like this is going to go off in a weird direction um very very mandated by film type things not that it can't be good but it seems like it's not going to factor much of this at all um and so it's um i'm a little bummed that we're probably just not gonna get much with that character i yeah same i'm holding out hope that we might get an aquaman free atlantis book one of these days by abnett but that's probably not gonna happen we still don't know when Deconic's coming on, right? She said on Twitter... Cause so, there were conflicting things this week. Uh, Bleeding Cool had found an advanced solicit of the, whatever the like the the volume of Aquaman that collects this next... I don't know if it's this... I think it's everything by Abnett after this, or after this issue. And it claimed mm-hmm. it was collecting up until issue uh, 48, which would be like middle of next year. And so someone tweeted at Deconic saying, like, so is it true you're not coming on um, Aquaman's number 49? And she said, last I heard it was 43. So that would be, mm-hmm. um, I believe, December would be when she what, starts. What just, do you know what numbers just got solicited? I believe it's 41 just got solicited for October. So 42 will be okay. November and 43 will be um, December. Okay. But it's interesting because if you if you take you know if the forty two issues plus the six issues of um, Mira and the annuals, you pretty much get a fifty issue run on this. Yeah, and and also wasn't he on Aquaman during like right before Rebirth? Rebirth started as yeah. well. Yeah, and I, I've been wondering if that stuff is worth going back and reading. Yeah, I might have given up know. on the book before then. Yeah, because that was the Cullen Bunn yes. stuff that was really, um, you know, critically derided. But Jeff Parker was on it for a little while, remember? Yeah, you're right. That was before that. That was after John's. Yeah, but that was like that it, was frustratingly brief, if I recall. Yeah, that so that probably would have been like, um, that would have been like issues twenty six through forty, I think. Or thirty nine, 
No, 40, 40, because I think DCU started with those books at like issue 41 and ran to 52. But hmm. yeah, good for Abnet. I, I feel like it's, again, people are going to focus on the new 52 Aquaman, which I thought was a snooze fest. Uh, whereas this is really the best Aquaman run, the best extended Aquaman run. That I can remember. Mm. And, and I, I want to give a shout out here to Ricardo Federici, who is not uh, Stepan Sayek, but has has been an admirable follow up to his artwork, and has kept with the tone of the book, and uh, you know ha- has added a sort of real nice sense of high drama to some of these to this issue, specifically to this issue. Like there's a shot in here of Aquaman and Dolphin and they hold hands and then they're they're lying together like defeated on the ocean floor and there's just a real like renaissance painting quality to some of this stuff just it's really epically illustrated and uh it never really it 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 sort of walks the line of being overwrought and over the top but it always falls just short of that in a good way you know I, I I think that the Aquaman book since was it twenty five that Sayek joined? Mm-hmm. Since twenty since so. twenty five has been <clears throat> the consistently prettiest book DC's put out. Yeah, I think that's fair. And it's interesting because I don't usually go for this style. Like yeah, same if you'd here, ask yeah. me I mean, I mean yeah, you you know me. I like the the All Reds and the Mike Nortons and the Joel Joneses of the world. Kind of that cleaner um, style with with relatively simple line work, but just strong character models and things like that. Dynamic action. I feel like the painterly stuff can sometimes get away and feel stiff, you know, or lifeless or whatever. But I think for a book like Aquaman, where it's this grandiose kind of fantasy tale underwater, I think it fits so well. I think it was remarkable. Um, and, and in a style that I usually don't go for. So, yeah, it was great. Was anyone else incredibly bummed out when we realized the Suicide Squad crossover came next? <laughs> I'd forgotten it until you just said yeah. that. At so the, the end of the issue, like the last words in the issue are like continued Suicide Squad or something. So, The dang Suicide Squad. Freaking Amanda Waller. I'm surprised she didn't show up on the last page. Yeah. Uh, Atlantis rises out of the water and Amanda Waller like walks up behind Arthur. You, I'll take care of this. You got some explaining to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yep, that's... I wish that was a subtitle for the crossover. <laughs> Sink Atlantis, yeah. colon, you've got some explaining to do. <laughs> something, something. Aqua, Aquaman explaining to do. <laughs> Did you just say something, <laughs> Babalu? I said Vitamin to Vegemite. Oh, okay, okay. The famous sketch where uh, Lucille Ball becomes drunk, trying to sell a. a... You've seen yes, that, yeah, right? Of course, of course. Uh, it's her Alex Jones moment. <laughs> Vitamin to Vegemite, original yeah. rainforest bosses. Yes, of course. That's that's fantastic, man. You're gonna beat me to Twitter <laughs> to make that joke, aren't you? Fucking asshole! No, you can. I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let you have that. You, you, you do it. You do hey, you. Remind me after the show That's... to tweet that. 
Okay. <laughs> Son of a bitch. That's great. Uh, did anyone crack open Batman Beyond? Mm-mm. I did. Yeah, I did. Tell us about it, Vince. Um, uh, first of all, okay. written by Dan Jurgens, illustrated by Will Conrad. Yep, Jan okay, Jurgens. Important question. Um, is this the good yeah. Will Conrad? Yeah, yeah, it was. It, it was It was decent Will Conrad, for sure. Um, so the, the basic story right now, if you haven't been following it, is that Neo-Gotham has basically turned against Batman, and you find out later that it's the Scarecrow, of course. The new Scarecrow, the scarecrow? of course. Caught the, the freaking the, the dang, dang new Scarecrow. Yeah. Yep. Causing them all to turn against Batman. Now, if, if this, I'm sorry, and, I interrupt here. This would be, if they were clever, because it's New Gotham, Scarecrow would be spelled with a K. Yeah, that's, <laughs> you're not wrong. Yeah. You're not wrong. Um, about me, cowards. But anyway, two two I, Ks. <laughs> oh boy! With the with the both all the C's are gone. Careful, Zach. <laughs> and an extra, and he's racist. Yeah. <laughs> there it is. Scarecrow. Um, <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Um, no, the one thing I wanted to point out is that Terry's little brother, Matt, you know, like he was Robin for a little while, then he couldn't be Robin, and then he. Um, now, well, now in this issue, they let him be Robin again. They give him a new Robin costume, and it's fantastic. It's like my favorite Robin costume in a while. Where in the issue is it? It's, what's that? Where in the issue is it? I'm going to turn to it. I I don't have it open right now, but it's it's towards like it's probably towards it's like three quarters of the way through. Uh, it's but it's it's on page six. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I I'm going completely by memory here, but it's like it's like this very sleek. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, huh. very sleek spandexy black the color scheme is great not a whole lot of like the one thing oh, i don't it's so shway. i mean it sort of feels Very like he's wearing shway. nothing at all <laughs> stupid sexy matt mcginnis yeah. um <laughs> no but he's uh uh i just think like the one thing i don't like about the the red robin costumes of the last five years or so is how busy they all are and um i thought this was really sleek and nice so uh, I could appreciate that, even even though the story's kind of middle of the road. I guess it's better than it's been. It's better than this book has been, you know. Um, but yeah, that, that's the one thing I wanted to point out. I really like that Robin costume. Looks good. All right, let's talk about Beach Blanket Bad Guys Summer Special. <laughs> Boy. Um. Ten stories of varying quality. Uh, I, uh, you can say that again. So let's just let's just quickly go through them all, um, because that's I think the way to do this. So we got a Joker Bizarro story, worst finest, by Lieber Mayho and Lieber Mayho's twin. Apparently, you're doing the art. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, Francesco Matina. I really thought that Bermejo had drawn this. But no, they just found the most Bermejo guy that isn't Bermejo to do it. Right. And it sucked. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. This was the worst. I thought this was the worst story. In the oh, world. absolutely. Yeah. 
I it's yeah, incredibly I dumb. There's almost no it, thought put into it. <laughs> it also felt yeah, Bizarro didn't speak right first of all. Um like I don't think he followed any of the Bizarro rules for how we think of him speaking. Am I wrong on that? Uh, let me see. I I thought it was okay. I don't feel like there's very clear cut rules on Bizarro uh, speak. I feel like it's like it's it's like etric and rhyming. Yeah. Okay. Like, All right. Uh, fair enough. I'll, I'll say this: there's no reason he should ever have yelled "Bizarro, not theme park enthusiast." <laughs> it's an actual line from this issue, folks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it also felt like it was supposed to be a longer story that they cut short and stuffed in this book. Because it ends on an extremely weird note, it, with like the Joker offering him sunscreen, which sort of felt like a Batman '89 callback. <laughs> like, love that Joker, you know, but uh-huh. but isn't really defined by anything. So who knows? Right. Yeah. This is garbage. Yeah, I don't know. It was very dumb. Very yeah. dumb. Uh, then we get a Jeff Loveness, David Williams joint Lex Luthor story called Help that had um, essentially Lex being really shitty to somebody trying to help him. A guy who kind of <laughs> looks like Seth Rogen trying to help him. There's one very <laughs> Seth Rogen panel in this. When they stand... Like a va- like a vaguely um, Latino-flavored uh, Seth Rogen. Yeah, yeah, there's this one shot of him eating a breakfast burrito where it's like, yeah. straight out of... Uh, you know, insert uh, insert uh, movie here. But yeah, which of us can do the best uh, the best Seth Rogen okay. laugh? The laugh or, or line reading? You got to do just the laugh, just the laugh. I can't do it. Oh, you did an impression of me the other week that sounded just like it. That's not true. I don't. <laughs> none of my impressions are good. Uh, I, I heard a great line reading before from you. That wasn't an impression. That's no. true. That was just me reading a line. <laughs> that's my Seth Rogen. Uh, <laughs> no, that's just, I just, that's the bad, uh, it's the bad peewee. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, that is good. Uh, yeah. All right. Um, but this, I, I liked the Superman part of this story because I, I always like when Superman talks to normies. Um, but overall, it was it was nothing really. Yeah, I liked it. I I, I think it was maybe I'm looking in at the list. It was maybe my second favorite one. Uh, maybe I don't know. I can't confirm or deny that. Um, no, yeah, it was my second favorite. It was fine. Um. Then we get the uh, Paul Dini, John Paul Leon, uh, Mister Freeze story, which, this was which I love. This was great. Yeah this this was a lot of fun. Yeah, it required it. It had a tone to it that was completely different from most of the other stories in this uh, book, and kind of more what I'm looking for. When you when when you put out a book that's called Beach Blanket Bad Guys Special, and it's got the cover that it had. I expect to see these bad guys put in a little bit lighter, sillier situations. Absolutely. And this felt like in a note perfect version of that. You know, no one's going to read this and say, "Oh, you're doing Mr. Freeze wrong because it's a freaking 
one-off story in a silly book, you know? I thought it was great. Yeah, I mean, first of all, John Paul Leon is incredible. Oh. And it was nice to see him get to draw something light, too. Yes, agreed. Um, you know, and there was a little bit of heart to the story. There was a little bit of humor to the story. Like you said, this struck the tone I want from this kind of a book. Mm-hmm. This was excellent. Um, next up, we have uh, a cheetah story from Vida Ayala and uh, Amanke Nahulplan. Nahulpan? I'm butchering that name, I'm sorry. Um, but this is the first story, by the way, that I felt like, oh, this is obviously something that was done in the New Writers Workshop. Mm-hmm. Uh, her story and then the Michael Morisi story as well. Just feel like, you know, we know those story we know those people were in the New Writers Workshop. And this seems like a, a good example of something they would they would have done in that class. Yeah. Um, but this That's a good this point. was a cheetah story that didn't really do anything for me at all. Yeah, I think I think it was fine. I I liked the art quite a bit. Um I think it was just re explaining to you the Cheetah and Diana relationship, which you probably time. already, yeah. right. Which you, exactly. It's just, it, the thing that it does something for is somebody who's never read a Cheetah story ever, you know, which I think there, that's fine. There's a place for that. It just doesn't, doesn't move my needle, mm-hmm. but it wasn't yeah. bad. Yeah. The art is very good. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the art being very good, the Black Manta story, um, mm. illustrated by Gabriel Hardman, il- written by Hardman and Karina Becco. Uh, this story was was fine from a like a storytelling perspective and a uh, a plot you know plot wise it was it was okay. It's it sort of humanizes Black Manta and then makes him into a dick again, which is like the classic villain story thing to do. Um, classic, but textbook. Yeah. But the art was incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the art was great. Is that all we have to say about the story? I think so. Yeah, I think it's it's almost the same story as the cheetah one. Yeah, which is that like yeah, I understand I understand who Black Manta is, and. Uh, and here's some great art to show you that yeah. all again. Yeah. You know. Yeah, then we get uh the Giganta story by Michael Morisi and Max Rayner. Which um again, this kind of follows the same pattern as the last two. It's a Giganta story mm-hmm. for someone who's never read Giganta before. Mm-hmm. But I, I like thought Rayner's... I thought Gig- Oh, go oh, ahead, Zach. No, sorry. you go you go ahead. I was just gonna say I I thought uh i thought giganta's voice was a little interesting uh marisi gave her a little bit of flavor that i don't think she usually gets mm-hmm. um but yeah apart from that it's exactly what you're saying zach go ahead sorry i was gonna say i really liked rayner's art it has kind of an amanda connor vibe to it i could see that and yeah. um he is gonna be on uh sideways here in a few months. I feel like he'll be a good good fit yeah. for that book. I don't know if it was recently or if I just thought of it because I, I read this issue. Somebody said they wanted Busy Phillips to play Giganta in a Wonder Woman movie. <laughs> and, that, and like reading this, I couldn't 
I couldn't unsee or unhear her in this role. Mm-hmm. I'd be all for that. Um, sure. Yeah, why not? Yeah. <laughs> all right. Let's get dark here, folks. Let's talk <laughs> about the Grodd story, which was uh, written by Tim Seeley, illustrated by Min-Q Young. This is one of the two really dark stories in this issue. Not nearly the darkest one, though. Um, I've never really seen Grodd and the Flash compared and contrasted this way with their moms both dying. Is that a new bit to Grodd's origin? Uh, <laughs> you got me. Vincey? I don't. I don't know. What'd you guys think of that pairing, in terms of uh, the way it was presented with both of them, essentially being defined by their mother's deaths? It was not something I like super needed. But... Oh, it's certainly not needed. Was it effective in this issue? Um, I would say I would say no. But I don't know, Vince. What do you think? Um, yeah, I don't know. This didn't really do that much for me. I think it worked better than. I thought the issue read better than if you described it to me, and mm-hmm. then expect, and then I, you know, I based my expectations on what you said the book was going to be like. I think it was better than that, but that's not a glowing endorsement of the story. Um, I thought the art was pretty nice in parts. Yeah, it it, it was all right. It wasn't. Uh, I don't think it was the best in the issue, but it was far from the worst. I like the one. You know, a couple of the pages I thought were constructed really nicely, panel wise. Um, mm-hmm. I think Minky Young is a good Flash too. I'd see more of Young on Flash. Um, but again, I felt like this was a classic ending of a story like this where it just sort of ends for a reason that that you're supposed to think is is deep or is special but really just reads as rushed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think you're supposed to think like, oh, he could have killed him or something, yeah. you know. But... And then you remember you're reading superhero comics. Yeah. Alright, let's talk about... Uh, the saddest thing I've read in a long time. Oh my god! <laughs> the Deathstroke story by Shea Fontana and Carlos Deonda. First of all, let's just say Deonda did not get the memo. The New Fifty Two is over. In, in how he drew Deathstroke. Uh huh. Right. Um, let's just start there. Again, yeah. this this also feels like this might have been a, uh, a a writer's workshop story, or something of the like. Um. It yeah oh man though but that's like burying the lead here. <laughs> I had to read this twice to make sure that I knew what I was reading. <laughs> you're you're reading a little girl essentially playing Deathstroke to, yeah. to murder her neighbor who let her dog out. Well, like answering it was dark enough. answering the age old question of who let the dog out. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> Jesus Christ! Look, many Baja <laughs> men have given given their lives trying to solve this mystery. And, uh, <laughs> 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 all right, sorry, go ahead. No, I was like, I, you know, 
Because it's dark enough if she's trying to kill this guy because he he was a, he like assaulted her or something or he, he messed up mis- her mom, right? Yeah, yeah what, whatever yeah. it was, whatever it was. Yeah, like it's dark enough because like obviously deserved, you know, but like still dark. Yeah. And then when you find out it was just because he let, <laughs> in, which is still bad, but like, like oh holy cow. <laughs> And then he ends it saying like <laughs> "summers for the kid youth" or yeah. something like that. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, very dark. I felt very yucky after I read that. <laughs> What's weird is that like there's been this movement over the last you know uh, specifically the last you know four or five years, but really going back much further than that. To make Deathstroke a bastard, but not necessarily, like, evil in any way. You know what I mean? Like, his motivations are always for money, and he has a sort of ethical code that he follows, even if it's a fucked up code, whatever. And this issue, like, totally plays into that. And usually that's done in a Deathstroke comic to undercut sort of the darkness that surrounds the idea of the character. Like, yes, he's an assassin, but... Whereas this Deathstroke is by far like the lightest part of the story. Everything mm-hmm. else is far darker than his character. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, this is a doozy. Zach, what do you think of this? Uh, I, I don't think I have a take any different than what you guys said other than this is just weirdly <laughs> dark. Um... Yeah, I, uh, I I didn't care for this. Yeah. Uh, last but not least. No, oh, sorry, not sorry, yet. We, have, we have two more. I'm sorry. You're right. Uh, we have what might be the debut of Daniel Kibblesmith at DC. Mm-hmm. Uh, writing the Young Penguin story and illustrated by Laura Braga. Um, Was anybody disappointed that this wasn't about? Sexy son of penguin. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was. That's yeah. what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. But, but I... instead, it was about the incel penguin. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This I feel like has is in the running for darkest story of the issue. It's pretty dark. <laughs> it's pretty dark. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not a little girl murders her neighbor in cold blood, letting her dog out. You know. Um, now. I, I, and it also doesn't have a few of the choice lines in the in the next story, but we'll get that. <laughs> uh, I did. There was one line I really enjoyed. Hang on, I got you got to find it exactly. Uh, but anyway, but this story is about essentially um, young penguin deciding to uh, to try and get buff to get the girl, and then that not working out. Um, so my favorite line of this issue is he says. What is this music? Doesn't anyone pump iron to Puccini? <laughs> Enjoyed that. <laughs> Enjoyed that. Um, I thought this was fine. Oh. What? You didn't like it? Oh, it was just too dark. I didn't like it. Yeah. Too real. It's too... <laughs> yeah. He. I mean, Penguin's a proud boy, so... <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah, basically. Um, Vince, 
Yeah, I, yeah, I don't have anything else to say about it really. I'm I'm itching to talk about this last one. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so that's some good sexy talk in there oh yeah yep (laughs) yep fuck me like i'm the damn constitution there you go you piece of you human piece of um whatever that symbol is yeah yeah boy uh written uh, by in a comic in a comic called beach blanket bad guy special with a bright silly goofy cover Uh, written by Carlton Kelly and Jackson Lansing, illustrated by Giuseppe Chemicoli. Um, what the fuck is this story, guys? <laughs> well, I gotta say though, if it were if it were not in a book that I was expecting to be a heck of a lot lighter than it was, I think I would actually like this a lot, like almost to the point where it was my favorite story in this thing. Wow. I disagree strongly. Oh, no, I thought because the entire time I'm reading it like tongue in cheek, like it knows how ridiculous it's being, you know. I did not get the vibe. Oh, man. No, I I dug it like all the characters are just worse than Sopranos or Mad Men level a-holes. Tone? Like. What? Tone? (laughs) Tony (laughs) Tony So. (laughs) <laughs> Dominic <Keys. Exactly. laughs> uh sorry we have our fun here he comes here is his wife <laughs> yeah yes uh no i just i like i endured the hate crime she calls sex come on <laughs> how good is that line uh, you think this book was written about my wife? Whoa! <laughs> That's my life. And then you guys did a poor out joke, by the way. By the way, there. So. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I was doing a hamburger. Yeah, exactly. You can only do one comedian at a oh, time. Oh, come on! That's, that is not the rule of the show. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Hang on. I gotta do one thing here. Why did my wife tell me to fuck her like the damn Constitution? <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> so that conservative man would pay attention to her. Because sex is a hate crime. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, uh, overall, this, this, this special is, I mean, first of all, I love that DC does these weird specials. Oh, above all, I am happy they do these because I think that they are fun and a nice diversion from the sort of monthly grind of superhero comics. That said, I wish they were just a little bit better. I don't think these have to be like Eisner winning masterpieces, but I just wish they were a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah, this one was nowhere near the nightmare that the that the Halloween one oh, was. Oh God, no! Yeah, but but it was not up to the standard of like the the holiday special, right? Or yeah, yeah. Did you see we're getting a cursed comics cavalcade in October. <laughs> no, what is that? It's essentially the like the the next horror anthology thing. Like, okay, they're not they're not all written by um, what's his name though? Are they? 
Oh, Giffen? Yeah, Giffen. I do not no. believe so. Um, I, okay. I wish it was just a collection of, like, cursed Twitter images <laughs> with DC characters. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that would be... Can you imagine what the solicit on that would be if DC needed their, like, PR staff to write a description of cursed Twitter images? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, here, let me, let me read this to you. So, <laughs> the Curse Comics Cavalcade, written by, man, this is actually a, a hell of a lineup. Uh, James Tynan the Fourth, Becky Cloonan, Brian Hill, Tim Seeley, Riley Rossmo, uh, Gary Doberman, and others. Illustrated by Mark Buckingham, Becky Cloonan, Riley Rossmo, Ricardo Federici, and others. Hmm. Okay. Let's, uh, let's talk with Detective wow. Comics, number 985, written by Brian Hill, illustrated by Philippe Briones, with a very Kelly Jones-esque cover by Adriana Lucas. Um, so this is the third installment now of this, this uh, Black Lightning arc, and this one had by far the least amount of Black Lightning in it. Um, I have a couple things I want to talk about, but first I want to get your sort of general opinions on this issue. Uh, Vince, lay it on us. Um, I think I, it was clearly a, a issue in transition, I think, you know, just like a mid-arc issue. Um, not many, like, explosive reveals or anything, but, I, but I'll say that I love the way Brian Hill, each and every character he's written in this thing, he finds a way into and he finds a little philosophy about and he puts that into the dialogue in a, in a fairly naturalistic way, I think. Um, one example is when Alfred is having that conversation with Jefferson. Um, he's talking to Jefferson on a different level than he talks to anyone else, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I love how he ends it with, you know, something about... Good to have another it's teacher. Good to have good to have another teacher in Gotham, which is like perfect like that's the type of character stuff that brian hill is so good at and he does that like three or four or five times over the course of this issue um yeah so so i i'm i'm really digging even though this issue wasn't there's not much to talk about i don't think uh i I just continue to really eat up his dialogue zach um this issue, it was good. I really like the Briones art. I feel like this is some of his best art. Um, maybe, like, ever. I really like this a lot. I was really disappointed with the um, explanation or origin of karma. That was one of the things I was like, to talk about, yeah. Yeah, I feel like that was one of the weakest um, <laughs> uh, explanations for a Batman villain ever. It's basically like Batman beat up a guy, <laughs> and then he was bad. <laughs> he was already bad, but then he was worse. <laughs> oh, I- I'm yeah. sorry. I-, I have something very important to talk about. I, I had this in my notes. Talk about talk about it. It. We, had to talk- we had to go back to Beach Blanket Bad Guys for a second. Oh boy! Okay. Oh gosh! Did okay. you guys catch what I consider to be a very clear Arrested Development reference in this comic? No. It's in the Black Manta story. I'm just going to read you a line, and I'm hoping one of you is going to sing me a song back. Okay. 
Oh boy. After all, Timo Sal. No, after all, salvage is perfectly legal under maritime law, especially oh. on a record that's sold. <laughs> You're a crook, Captain. There Hook. we go. Thank you. Judge, won't you throw the book at the pirate? There we go. Thank you. I meant to bring that up before and I forgot. I'd be mad at myself if I didn't go back for it. So, there we go. Take to the sea. Yes. <laughs> uh, maritime law. Okay. Um, yeah, I agree with you, Zach. That's one of the things I wanted to talk about. Was I, I feel like what's nice about this story is that I don't think it matter. I, I don't think karma... I think karma is essentially the MacGuffin of this story to get us an Outsiders team. Like, I don't think this villain needs the sort of epic backstory that we get oftentimes because the villain isn't the reason for this arc, whereas usually that is the case. You know, this is... We're being told a story about the villain. Here we're being told a story about how this team comes together. And that happens to be told through this character's introduction. So I don't think it really matters as much, but it is a pretty lame origin. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask you guys about the, the interaction that Bruce and Jim have on the rooftop... I can't tell if I really like this or if it's a little bit too heavy-handed, but um, uh, Gordon says to him, you know you're not responsible for what these madmen do, and Batman says, Jim, of course I am, as he jumps off the roof. Mm-hmm. Again, is that is that good or is that just on the edge of being too self-aware and too on the nose? I didn't. I didn't mind it. I, I yeah, I thought that was fine. Yeah. I I am very excited for what um Hill is going to do on the Outsiders book. When that ever gets announced. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we keep saying it. Yeah. I think I think he's great though. I think he's fantastic. And he just got announced doing some other book at, at New York Comic Con. Not for DC. It was a Marvel thing, right? I don't remember now. Was it one of the Spider-Man books, or did I make that up? I don't remember now, offhand. Um, but yeah, good for Brian Hill. He seems like he's uh, really coming up the ranks, and that's a good thing, because he's awesome. Alright, let's do one more before we take a break, and that's going to be Doomsday Clock number six. Written by mm-hmm. Jeff Johns, illustrated by Gary Frank. Um, I've seen a lot of people say that this is the best issue of Doomsday Clock so far. Which means there's a lot of stupid people out there. Uh, this is not a good comic. I have so many issues with this book. Yeah, it's bad. Why don't you, why don't you take it away, Brian? Okay, so... I was thinking about this a lot. Cause I, I started to read this issue like a week ago. When we, when we first got the PDFs, this was the first one I opened. And I took a break from it because I said, I'm not in the mood to read this. I, I'm trying to, I, I try and read these books when I'm in the mood to like it. Even if it's a book I don't like, I try and you know, give myself the best possible um, like circumstances to, to read it. And I was, I was not in the mood for this. And I came back to it a couple of times. And what I don't understand is why there was a need to make this Mime and Marionette story 
so unbearably dark and sad. I know that is what Doomsday Clock sort of is all about, but it just seems like John's tried to find, like, the five saddest things you could do in a story about kids and put them all in this story for no real reason. I don't think this added anything to my enjoyment or understanding of those two characters. Mm -hmm. And he just makes it so over-the-top, painfully sad. You know, it's bad enough that these kids come from, you know, homes where one parent is missing either because they're dead or whatever, and then you get, you know, Mime doesn't speak because, you know, there's some sort of trauma in his life, and Marionette's dad seems like a good guy who's, you know, essentially mixed up in a protection racket, and then he hangs himself and she finds him. It's just over-the-top bleakness for what I felt was no real payoff for the characters. And that's dismissing the entire ridiculousness of the villain's plot. Mm-hmm. Am, am, I, am I reacting too strongly to this? No, I don't think so. This is bad. Yeah, I think... I mean, for my money, it's the worst issue of... Doomsday Clock so far. I think it's probably the worst one, too. You know, I just think it's so... (sighs) It's all the things... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's all the things you say, Brian, and it makes it so cliche. And and beyond that, I compare it to some of the, for lack of a better word, origin issues of um, Watchmen... Mm -hmm. And just how those play into the overall narrative of the work a lot better and how the symbolism just comes more natural in my estimation um, versus like there, there was a lot, there was an awful lot. And I saw them, I saw people online praising the book for doing a lot of those uh, mirrored panels where like, in one panel it was a flashback and in the next panel it was the present in a but they were in similar the characters were in similar poses you know yeah. but none of it was done to really any uh subtextual benefit you know i felt like it was trying again it was trying to look like watchmen and trying to trick you into f- thinking that it felt like watchmen and it really didn't and I still just fail to see how this book has anything to say about, you know, suppo- supposedly it's got something to say that needed to be said. And I'm still not convinced. I don't know. No, I have no idea what the point of this is. Zach, what do you think before I go off on another tangent? Yeah, I, I really don't know what the purpose of this is. Um, I think Mime and Marionette are going to be around for a long time, though. <laughs> um, we're going to have to live with it. What did you guys think about the Sanctuary name drop? To me, that reeked of editorial putting that in last week. Um, I guess the the original Tattooed Man, that's not... That's not the same one that's like in Final Crisis, right? 
No, I believe that is the second tattooed man that we see here. Okay. But I thought that was weird because I thought he was generally a good guy. The one... Now? I guess maybe he's not. I, I don't think he's been used. The last time I remember seeing him used was in that cursed um, pre-New 52 Titans run by Eric Wallace. Where it, I guess where you're it right. Death, yeah. It was Deathstroke's Titans. Cursed run is, is you just call it cursed. I did, yes, I love it. Yeah, that's good. I, that that was one of the runs I decided not to keep when I uh, went through my books recently. Shocking, I know. <laughs> um, so I also have a real problem with um with this typhoon character. So there's this new metahuman introduced here, and you know, he sticks out like a sore thumb. He's he's a very clear red shirt very early on, you know, like, <laughs> it's all these villains you've seen a thousand times, and then Typhoon, and then he gets his head blown off by the comedian, and then the entire back matter is dedicated to justifying why they put this red shirt in the comic. Mm-hmm. But it adds nothing to yes. the story. No, it's also the worst back matter. Yes, it is, had, by yeah. far. Uh, it just, it's totally worthless. And... I'm not somebody who typically gets caught up on this stuff. Maybe I am. Who knows? But I feel like if you're going to bring the comedian back in this book and make him alive, why are we waiting this long to figure out how the comedian is back? Mm -hmm. Doesn't that seem like a piece of information that would have been helpful to to appreciate the story? I think this is the this is the worst case scenario for where this book could be at the halfway point. I think if if we had expressed our deepest fears for this book, it would be this. This is pretty close. <laughs> yeah, it hasn't really advanced. Like it, we didn't love that first issue, but two things happened in the first issue that were interesting, at least. And it was we got the connection between Superman and the story. You know, with his parents dying, was it prom night, I guess? Yeah, I think uh, so. And that was interesting. And just the idea of traveling across the multiverse or whatever to find Dr. Manhattan is at least an interesting... At least it's asking a question that I would maybe like to know the answer to. Mm-hmm. Ever since then, I haven't gotten any of that. This, this issue didn't move... Th- the needle on the story at all. No. Nothing nothing happens here. It also doesn't follow up at all on the I think we we all thought that last issue had at least some stuff with the Justice Society that was interesting. That's mm-hmm. totally ignored. Yeah. It's um it's just it really feels like uh, Jeff Johns getting a hold of the Joker and all these other villain villains and just really giving into all of his indulgences on him, doesn't it? Like, yeah. Oh, Joker gets his—I mean, not Joker. Riddler gets his knee blown out. Yep. 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 Um, Jim Carrey Riddler, by the way. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> That—that's—I mean. I've—I've I've looked, and every spandex version of the of the Riddler that you can find in comics, at least if you do a Google image search, just has one question mark and then 
anytime you see more than one question mark, he's wearing like a suit. So the combination of many question marks and spandex is 100% Jim Carrey. The canon Riddler. It, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's he's better than stupid, sexy Riddler. He is, Andy for sure. is better than stupid, sexy Riddler. Yeah. And he talks out of his butt, too. So. <laughs> Arkham Asylum! I, I cannot sanction your buffoonery. Yes, you can. <laughs> no, that's the Tommy Lee Jones story. Okay. Um, do you ever think of what would have happened if Al Gore became the actor and Tommy Lee Jones became vice president since they were roommates at Harvard? <laughs> You gotta tweet that too. I didn't kill my wife. I don't <laughs> care. Exact same line reading. Doesn't matter which one is yep, that. Exact same right. line reading. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. All right, let's take a break. I invented the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Again, same line reading. They sound the same. This is really more of a visual gag than an audio gag. <laughs> uh, let's take a break. We'll be back in just a minute with more great goofs like that. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commandy. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinborough, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe. Subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. And we are back to talk about Hal Jordan, the Green Lantern Corps, number 49, written by the outgoing writer of this book, Robert Venditti. Just one issue left in his nearly 100-issue Green Lantern saga. And written by and illustrated by Rafa Sandoval and Sergio Davila. Um, I I think this is pretty much fine for what this is. I think that this storyline is actually one of the more developed and quasi interesting ones Venditti has done with this book. I like Hector Hammond's role here it all still feels just a little surface level, not all that interesting, but I think this is one of the better arcs Venditti's done in this book. What say you guys? Zach, you go first. Yeah, I agree with that. It's, it's, um, it doesn't feel quite as epic as I think it, or epic's not even, the, so the, I guess the confrontation between Hal and Tomar two at the end doesn't feel as big as I think it thinks it is. Agreed. Yeah. If that makes sense, you know, especially if you compare this to like, you know, the culmination of some of the Hal Sinestro stuff in recent years. Um, But you know, this continues to do a really good job of bringing in characters from throughout this rebirth run. Um, and throughout Venditti's run in general, like Orion is from the Lights Out. I mean, the um, the New Gods arc. Right, yeah. right. But he also showed up again recently in this arc too. Uh, in this in the rebirth run. 
Um, and that's, I think that this, this is pulled a lot from that because that was when, um, I think Kyle had to like restart his heart or something or like ran it with a construct for a while. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, yeah, you're right. Like stuff even as far back as that. Um, and the, the art is really good. You're right. The Hector Hammond stuff is probably the most interesting thing. Um, some decent John stuff in here too. Um, yeah, it's, it's good. It, 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 it's, it's relatively good. <laughs> I, yes, I think it succeeds by being, I just called Jeff Johns indulgent for writing an entire issue about all the villains and, and being particularly twisted. But I think Venditti indulges all of his impulses. And because we've read a book that's been almost 50 issues of extremely boring material, I think it was fun to finally be reading a a lantern issue that kind of lets loose. And he's really throwing everything at the wall. And we've, we've talked about it before, but I think, you know, it's still not great. It's still not like one of my favorite things I'll read all week, but it wasn't, it wasn't like boring, you know. Yeah, I, I think that this this delivers on the promise of what this book should always be. It should always be fun space cop stuff. Yeah, at, at minimum, I would say. Yes. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, and uh, we've gotten precious little of that so far. So yeah, this is fine. Uh, but we should also mention that, you know, Green Lanterns will be officially ending in October, paving the way for the Grant Morrison, Liam Sharp Green Lantern book, hopefully in November. So. <laughs> Can't wait. Cannot wait. All right, boys, let's talk about Justice League Dark, number one, written by James Titan IV, illustrated by Alvaro Martinez Bueno. Is that a new moniker for him? Yeah, I, I yeah, I don't know where that came from or what. You know, you see artists do that sometimes, or writers. Like with um, Pat Patch Searcher, he goes between Patrick and Patch. Yeah, yeah, Seem- seemingly at random. So yeah, and uh, Fabok used to go by Jay Fabok more yeah. before he. And even like for a long time, uh, Jim Zub went by Jim Subkovich. I just eventually people mm. called him Jim Zub because that was a, a shorter way to say it. And he's sort of now embraced that as his like pen name, you know. So mm-hmm. anyway, um, Alvaro Martinez. Bueno. A, there's a, there's a part of me who that that wants to believe that he listens to the DC three cast and he was sending a message to us that he's he's the good Alvaro oh, okay. Martinez now. <laughs> to be fair, he's always been the good Alvaro Martinez. Yeah, but and but the constantly he's, getting he's better. A very good one. Yes. Yeah, yeah. He's. Very good in this, for sure. His work in this is so disgustingly good that, like, literally, yes. disgusting shit in this. this so, oh man, go for it, Zach. Dig in. This, this book's a, this is a a snack of a book right here. <laughs> <laughs> this book is thick. Yeah. With two um, yeah. I oh, there's so much good here. Um. 
what what is it with Tanyan being able to write Batman villains so well? Yeah, his man bat is something else here. His man bat is like the new Clayface. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, stupid, stupid, sexy Constantine. Um, Detective Chimp. There's so much good here. Swamp Thing is great. Zatanna, Zatanna is great, and it's so nice how this kind of like builds off of his the Zatanna arc and Detective. Um, his take on Wonder Woman is great. I think I really like how he kind of has these concurrent like two teams go like forming up one headed by Zatanna and one by Wonder Woman, and it's not until the end, you know, that they kind of. Converge. Almost three because you have the one started by Jason Blood too. You're right, yeah. Um, some great, uh, you know, DC Magic character cameos. Um, Clarion. Um, some other deep cuts. I'm trying to see who all Zariel. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, Andrew Bennett from I Vampire. Yep. Yes, uh huh. Very good. Second reference to him this week. Mm, yep. He shows up yep. in the Hellblazer as well. Yep. By, oh, by, name, so. in name only, but yeah. In name only. Um, uh, the the question was there, which like, what question is that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that page was like a veritable Easter egg, uh, mm-hmm. Easter egg hunt, if you will. Yeah. Mrs. Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah I, I think I, Alice Black from I um, Mrs. Frankenstein. Oh. <laughs> Mrs. Frankenstein, can we come over and play? <laughs> yeah, you, you guys talk about this. Vince, go ahead. Uh, uh, my probably my favorite issue of the week. I think. Um, just every page is just pouring with good shit. That this is what I want from comics. You know, I want every page I read to tease my mind with. Either things that I love or things that I want to see more of or things that disgust me. And talk about dialogue that, like, this book is night and day from Tynion's dialogue on that uh, dark age of heroes, whatever the hell it's called. <laughs> um, that book is so dry and so boring. And in this book, the, the banter between uh, Wonder Woman and Zatanna... The anything involving Detective Chimp, the Constantine stuff, the Swamp Thing stuff, it all works. It all works. I loved this. Yeah, th- this is fantastic. Um, I-, I thought of something that maybe um, maybe sounds obvious, but sort of was a revelation to me today. I was thinking about this book, and I was thinking about how this is, you know, Volume Two of Justice League Dark. But how, when the first volume was launched, it was just clearly an idea somebody had. Like, hey, let's put all of DC's magic characters together. And that was, there were some fun moments in that, especially when Jeff Lemire took over the book. There was some fun there. But this feels different because there's an explicit reason for this team to come together. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that, to me, is the difference between the Rebirth era and the New 52. The New 52 was defined by, wouldn't it be cool if stories? 
And Rebirth seems to take those same ideas, but do them in a way that seems like they're more plot-relevant. And that's why it succeeds so much better. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Well said. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to the cast expanding on this book, too. Like We know we're getting characters like Dr. Fate popping up here. And uh, did you see that that Tynion confirmed we'll be getting both Dr. Fates? No, no, I didn't see that. Yeah, Kent and Khalid. Hell yeah. Yeah, so I'm very excited about that. Um... Yeah, this feels like it, I mean, obviously, it is connected to Justice League and that it is part of the the New Justice lineup and all that. But the threats in Justice League so far have felt the most serious to that team that we've seen in a very long time, and this feel this threat feels just as serious. Yet neither book gets bogged down in the. Um, in the sort of self-serious, over-the-top melodrama that oftentimes can happen here. These books are still fun, despite their high stakes. Mm-hmm. And that's awesome. Anything else to say? No, I don't think so. No, this is just very good. The Justice League books are so good right now. Yeah. Um... I feel like Wonder Woman, um, Justice League Dark is like a revelation, you know? Yeah. It's just like such a great idea. How cool is it that we've got a, a DC team book that's basically led by Zatanna and Wonder Woman? Yeah. With freaking Man Bat on the team. With Man Bat? <laughs> Oh, it's good. And, and you know, as much as I like the little Constantine scene, I'm glad he's not on the team. Yeah, he'll mm-hmm. be showing up throughout the book, I think. You know, yeah. I, I kind of hope that this is the hub of all things magic in DC for a while. But he doesn't mm-hmm. need to be on the team itself. Real real quick before we move on, I don't have one, so this is just off the cuff, but who who's one magic character that you really, really would like to either join the team or be featured for an extended arc? I mean, the the Khalid Dr. Fate is my first choice. And yeah. if I'm getting that, that's amazing. Um, I have a real soft spot for Blue Devil. Yeah. Oh, good choice. So I'll go with Blue Devil. Okay. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Zach, do you have one? Um, I, I really wouldn't mind um, Tab Clary and the Witch Boy be on. For a little while. Yeah, who does show yeah. up here. I'll also say Andrew Bennett for my vampire. That'd be yeah. great, yeah. Brother Power the Geek. <laughs> nice. I'm joking. I don't <laughs> Is Danny the Street considered magic? Why not? There's probably somebody that I'm not even thinking about that I would love to show up, but I'm just goofing right now. I don't know. Totally um, <laughs> Mr. Wacky. <laughs> Abracadabra one two three. Mr. Wacky. Uh let us see what we will see. 
I did you see my uh, what what did I text you guys that uh, about, about that? Walmart having your comics? Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, they didn't. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, let's talk about Mother Panic Gotham AD number five, written by Jody Hauser, illustrated by Ibrahim Mustafa. I have very little to say about this comic, so I'll let you guys talk. I also have very little to say about this comic, which is a little sad because of how high I've been on it. Um, um, yeah, I, I like this issue quite a bit. Um, you don't. Do you want me to just take it away? Please. I feel like I'm. I'm really sad that this is just a six issue mini now because I feel like it's just finally starting to to ramp up and deliver on the on the real promise of this idea that um, that Violet is in this alternate dimension that may or may not be a future version of Gotham, you know, but it's not really the Gotham she knows, but she's seeing elements that she recalls from, you know, I, I felt like this issue finally started to deliver on a lot of that in a more explicit way. And now it's got one more issue to wrap everything up, and it's going to be taken away from us. So um, I really dug that. Fennec Fox is so much fun. She's a she's a fun character, uh, kind of running around, being really enthusiastic about being a sidekick and goofing around. And um, we get to see essentially the uh, Gotham City sirens, although I don't think you ever really see or interact with... Uh, Poison no, Ivy in this she's one. She's name-checked, but, but you don't actually see Yeah, that. she's mentioned. Yeah. And um, I'm really I'm really digging the, the alt versions of these characters, and, and, and now they're going away, so it feel it feels pretty inconsequential. But, uh, but man, it got me here at the end. I, I want this book to stick around. I will just add that Ibrahim Mustafa is an incredible artist. Mm. And is doing mm-hmm. some amazing work here. Um, you know, every time I read this book, I enjoy it, but it just feels a little slight to me. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I can, I definitely agree with that. With prior issues, I, I just like the way it's coming together. Mm-hmm. I love it when a plan comes together. Is what I'm saying. You're so Murdoch. <laughs> um. Do we think that this... I know it's it's been said that it was always the plan to have these books be 18 issues long. But do we believe that? But by, by, by these books, I mean the Young Animal books. I don't think I believe that. I almost never believe that. There, you, you, almost every time, the writers will tell you that they have more stories to tell when they talk about books like yeah. this. I wonder, I would like to know what the real story is here. I think the reality is that aside from Doom Patrol, I don't think any of these really sold a lick. Yeah. And that the the idea of the pop-up imprint by Gerard Way was a, a good thing to get people excited, but I don't know if that's always the same as a good thing to get people buying the comics. Yeah, I do wonder how these are doing on the trade side. That's true. And it'll take us a little while longer to know that, too. Mm-hmm. So. So we'll see. All right. Well, 
you know, we always kind of go alphabetically, but counting the as the as the titles. We have four the books. Before that, we have Teen Titans number twenty, written by Adam Glass, illustrated by Bernard Chang, and I want to throw something out here and then have us discuss this. So we all really disliked the Teen Titans special that came out a few weeks ago. Yes. <laughs> um, is it just me, or did this book render that special totally useless? And wasn't this a better issue than that special? I'm not saying this is great, but isn't this a wasn't this essentially a better version of that? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yep. By a mile. Why do we have that book? To. Uh... I, I can only assume it was to do the uh, we're the new extreme titans we kill now and and to see if that attracted an audience of some type. But I, I don't know. But, I don't. But wouldn't it be? Too, there's not enough time there to like to gauge the audience reaction to then influence this issue. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't think it did. No. Uh, yeah, I don't think that that's what happened. Yeah, now, I've, but... obviously, this issue still has a lot of the problems from that first, from that special. But this is handled far more elegantly than that issue was. Yeah. Do you guys remember... So there was a preview of this issue that was running in the back of books well before the, the Teen Titans special even came yes. out. I wonder if this was written and done prior to that issue being written. That's interesting. Or completed. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so we're sort of bearing the lead here. What did you guys think of this issue? Zach? It wasn't the worst thing. It it was good. The art was really good. Yeah, Bernard Chang. And I, I, I liked the way that the cast was introduced. Um, I'm trying to like not let my bias against so the combination of that that Teen Titans special plus like the Adam Glass um, Suicide Squad being in the back of my mind when I read this. Um, this was fine. What, what did you guys think about the uh, Childish Gambino reference? <laughs> I didn't catch. There it. were a lot of references here. What was the Childish Gambino reference? Uh, let me find it. There's a, there's a, there's a panel I think where Kid Flash says, "Don't be mad because I'm doing me better than you." Oh doing yes, you. yes, yes, something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. There was a lot of like very millennial uh, yes. dialogue <laughs> that I felt like I felt like it was a little bit of a reach at times. Um, but this book, okay. This issue contained some things that I liked a lot. Surprisingly, I liked all of the new characters. Yep. Well enough. Yeah, I agree. Jin. Yep. Jin, interesting. Roundhouse, interesting, even though he's basically just gold balls from uh, Brian Michael Bendis' X-Men. 100%, yeah. Yeah, he's just gold balls. But gold balls is good, and so is Roundhouse. And um, I feel like Wally or Wallace, I should say, is recalibrated a little bit from his role in the earlier Teen Titans uh, arc. 
and I think it works. And I think to have like more of a more of a voice on the team, and I think you honestly feel that a little. Um, how how weird is it that he's uh, friends with Millie Bobby Brown? Yeah, yeah, that's weird. Yep, yep, that's weird. That feels like a reference that will be very very dated very shortly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I liked Lobo's daughter surprisingly. Um, but I did. I didn't. I still don't like. I don't like Damien in this. I think Ab or uh, not Abnet. Wait, who was writing T- Teen Titans before this? Uh, Bernard. Ch- uh, no, um, Ben Percy. Who? Ben Percy. Ben Percy. Right. I felt like Ben Percy got the the Damien like being an asshole, but also a good guy a little bit better than this. This this feels like it's edginess for edginess's sake. Yeah, and he's you know locking guys up in his basement forever or whatever, and um, it feels like it's over the top edgy, and I and the voice is just off to me a little. Um, I also think it is it's not as much as the special, but it is still trying to be this like in your face. Uh, Whoa! Look at how look at how extreme we are. We're like the Teen Titans, but not the not your daddy's right, Teen yeah. Titans, you know. And then like the what the what they always do in books like this, and I know it's not like I want them to start killing people. That's the opposite of what I want. But in books like this, they always do like we're gonna we're gonna push the limits of what we can do as heroes, but none of them will, will ever say like, well, what does that mean? Right. <laughs> you know? They never explain what that means. And, They're just like, we're, we're going to be hard. And, and like, their actions are not all that hard. No, they're not really anything different than we see on like a weekly basis in these comics, you know, yeah. like Dam- if Damien were to actually have killed all- black mask in that way, then sure. Yeah. But, but right, which walk here around... we get confirmation that he didn't. So right, yep, yep. So, which I didn't know the mask was that strong, but I guess, yeah. guess it has to be. So I don't disagree with anything you guys have said. I think you guys have done a nice job summarizing this. Um, this is way better than I thought it was going to be based on that special, and I think that the team has a lot of potential. The pitfalls here to me are, like to me, what makes what makes Damien interesting is that all the other Robins were kids that were were molded and modeled after Bruce. He was molded and modeled after Talia, and yet he chooses to, to, to be good. The whole thing with Damien is he was bred to be an assassin, but chooses to be with Bruce, chooses to be Robin, because that means more to him, that means something. And to have this Damien that's all about killing and all about extreme justice, to me, that doesn't track with the Damien, what makes Damien interesting. I mean, he always is going to have a bit more of a pull towards the extreme and the dark because of what the character is, but this seems to go way too far in that direction. Uh, And that's my biggest problem with the book. I also have a very nitpicky problem with the book, which is, why can't they just let... Why don't... Why do we read more DC books than DC writers read? Because if they were reading books, they would know that Atomic Skull is not a bad guy anymore. 
Mm-hmm. He's working for the Gotham City Police, I mean, for the Metropolis uh, Police Department. Uh, well, to be fair, I feel like that's more on editorial than the re- than the sure, writers. Okay, fine. Well, the, and that's even worse then, because there's no excuse to the editors not knowing what's going on there. And Atomic yeah. Skull is one of those characters we've seen in Rebirth a lot between Clayface and now Manbat and Atomic Skull. We see these characters, these sort of minor villains rebranded in really interesting ways and this just throws him in a cell at the end of the issue for no reason yeah oh well the good thing is that no one else will touch on that if they want to <laughs> if they want to continue the good atomic skull working for metropolis police department they'll keep doing that I suppose so um but yeah this is not as bad as i feared it would be but it's certainly not very good yet. Yeah. I, I honestly, I'll say I, I won't give up on it, but um, it's got some work to do. Absolutely. I think, you know, I mean, here's proof that I'm capable of enjoying all different types of comics because I actually enjoyed that crime syndicate story in the beach, in the beach blanket, bad guys book. But I just think that this is the completely wrong tone for Teen Titans. You know, it's just it's just a matter of what kind of book it's in, right? And and I feel like I I like all these elements of this Teen Titans iteration, but the tone is just wrong to me. Agreed. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about the Flash number fifty-one, written by Joshua Williamson, illustrated by Scott Collins. This is sort of a, a pin in the Wally West story before he shows up over in the Heroes in Crisis Tom King miniseries come September. Um, I really enjoyed this issue. I know that this issue is really does nothing for the story. I know that this issue is just basically to put Wally on the shelf for a while. But there were some parts of this that I just absolutely adored as a longtime Flash fan. I love the bit with Barry and Bruce at the end with the Flash Museum. I loved the um, the sort of... There's a couple of pages that like, tell essentially the entire history of Wally as a Flash from Kid Flash to him holding Barry's costume at the end of Crisis on Infinite Earths. To, you know, sort of his whole history as a uh, as a speedster. I love those pages. Scott Collins is a classic Flash artist, and I think he does a really nice job here. I also liked sort of how this also put a pin in Wallace's story in The Flash. And, and gave him a chance to do something different. Um, it, it just... You guys know how much I love Wally West as a character. Yeah. And so I couldn't, you know, this is, this is Brian Nip to a certain degree, even though <laughs> I know it's, it's a somewhat nothing issue. What did you guys think? I, I thought this issue was pretty great. Um, just both in terms of highlighting and recapping pre-Flashpoint, uh, continuity stuff, um, really good Scott Collins art. Um, I think any time now that like Scott Collins or Howard Porter do flash stuff, it's just good. <laughs> um, 
the sanctuary stuff you know whatever we'll see when we get there um but it's cool you know that that they're he's real rebuilding the flash museum we're getting like even closer and closer to eventually having just the classic flash status quo back yeah yeah and i feel more hopeful than ever that it's actually coming like all this all this Wally sanctuary shit, which it's just stuff something we're gonna have to get past before it gets better. I mean, I think they literally say in the issue things are gonna get a lot worse before they get better. Yeah. But they're gonna get better. <laughs> so Yeah. It'll happen. I just really, really hope that there's not that we don't get um Tom King like fucking with Wally too badly in Heroes and Crisis. Yeah. I concur. Yeah. Uh, it is incredible that it looks like Josh Williams is going to get 100 issues in The Flash. We said that last time, <laughs> he, but... He said you'll have to tear me off the book. Yeah. Or something like that. Can we that. also talk about just how Scott Collins draws a really different-looking Batman, but I dig it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was weird. I almost thought, like, is this taking place in a different timeline? <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Um, am I the only one who read the Hellblazer? No, I read it. Okay. Re- I read all the books this week, you guys. Um, so... I said that on Robots from Tomorrow this week, that you're the true <laughs> DC three good boy. Aw, oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah, bless you. Uh, bless you. Are, I, I sneezed because you were talking about uh, me. Are we, uh, are we officially going to be the, the guest stars of the season of Robots from Tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Are you going on the show, Brian? I, I've been on a bunch, but I haven't been on lately. No, so. Um. But yeah, I'm glad to see you guys carrying on the good name of the DC Three on other shows, expanding our media foothold, etc. Absolutely. Um, anyway, this is the the final issue of the Hellblazer, written by Tim Seeley, illustrated by Davide Fabri, and um. Do you have anything to say about this, really, Vince? <laughs> um, Constantine makes out with Huntress at the end. Yeah, but like she puts the moves on him. Well, of course, yes. Um, because because he exercised the ghost of her dad, and then uh, said said something romantic about just wanting to show her his, her her dad or something like that, yeah. and then that got her all that got her all horned up, and and he also turned someone into a vampire. Mm-hmm. And yep, the, his his uh, his ex girlfriend that, that she's been like a Seely Hellblazer character since the right, beginning, yeah. and uh, and that's where uh, Andrew Bennett gets name checked, where he basically mm-hmm. says like I got a pal who's working on a cure, I'll hook you kids up. Yeah, um, this was fine. I, I I really don't know why there hasn't been a. Hellblazer run that's lasted more than six or eight issues that kept my attention. Isn't it also kind of weird how this is the final issue and they're one away from their kind of 25 anniversary thing? You you almost think that they would have scrounged together one more, even if it was like an anthology type thing, just to get a... That's true, yeah. I think that just shows how... Maybe little interest there is in this book right now. 
Remember when it was a huge deal when in Brightest Day, the search for Swamp Thing, we got the first Constantine in the DC Universe in like 20 years? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. The first comic I ever reviewed for Multiversity? <laughs> Misty watercolor memories, Brian. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know if that got published. That was just like my audition comic. Ah. Uh. So. But yeah. Uh, so that's that's that. Uh, let's talk about the silencer number seven. A weird issue by Dan Abnett and Victor Bogdanovic. Very weird. So let me just can I did you both read this? I did. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. I just want to ask you guys something right up front. Okay. So she makes the space around her silent essentially. Yes. Uh, and we're supposed to believe that she could do that and then cut the seats out of an airplane to have them fall into the uh, uh, cargo bay luggage. Com- yeah, the cargo bay below. And that because it was quiet, nobody noticed <laughs> that it happened. And then she had like an extended fight sequence with them and then patched it all up. And that's how nobody knows. But the people, you know, next to them in the aisle or whatever, didn't notice that these two seats just fell out of the floor. I mean, at some point, the plane does notice that it's going down. Right. But nobody notices that these. <laughs> right. That the seats are missing. Yeah. And nobody. Yeah. It's. <laughs> I mean, I can suspend a lot of disbelief, but not all of it. Especially when there are these two grotesque, like Cradle and Grave, are these grotesque-looking people, like clearly comic book villains, and then they disappear underneath the cabin. It's funny. I thought I booked a seat in the non-ghoul section of the plane. (laughs) (laughs) The ghouls are all up front in first class. Hi-yo! Um. Yeah, I feel like the whole zone of silence thing has not really been well established in this book. It's it's being used very liberally. Yeah, um, it accomplishes basically anything. Yeah, <laughs> and I feel like in general, the silencer has been is one of the more simple concepts of the of the New Age of Heroes. And you know, if you take out the ridiculous name of Honor Guest. And you take out the the zone of silence. It's a straight, pretty straightforward, like street level hero, and that's that's totally fine. We need we need those kind of comics, but this book just to me doesn't know what it wants to be. It it's halfway between this fantastical, magical zone that, like you said, the rules are very loosey goosey, and and something more street fo- street level and straightforward, and it doesn't really work on either level. And talk about an issue that doesn't move the overall plot forward at all. This issue was just... It literally takes place... This is such a literary nerd reference. This is a comic book equivalent of Nicholson Baker's The Mezzanine. Um, look Whoa. it up, folks. It just, it, it just takes place like in between two actions. In between the killing of Talia, which is important, and seemingly they're going. she's going to, you know, to go to a, a Lazarus pit to try and essentially stop her reincarnation, and that's interesting. And this is just the bridge to get there that didn't need to be there at all. There's nothing about this issue that has any bearing on the comic going forward. 
Yeah. Well said. All right, let's get to my most polarizing book of the week. <laughs> Terrific number six, written by Jeff Lemire, illustrated by Joe Bennett. So let me let me just put this out there quickly. Um, this is the worst looking issue of the book so far because of Joe Bennett on art, unfortunately. Sorry, Joe. Um, but it also does some interesting stuff towards the end, but I was pretty fatigued by the time I got to the end because of the art for the beginning of the book. I'll, I'll agree with you on that, but I, I, I still stuck with it and, and enjoyed the art a lot just because it, Bennett is still doing a lot of the really fun character things like like Plastic Man and this was fantastic. Metamorpho was really good. Um the bit where Plastic Man makes a gas mask for Mr. Terrific out of his hand. I did like that, yes. And then also when he turns into like a Mars rover <laughs> type thing, you know. Um yeah, there's there's some really good plastic man in this, and the colors are fantastic. Still, um, I don't know. Oh, hi-fi, huh? How about that? Mm-hmm. I liked I liked Doctor Dread, the Doctor Doom fake out. Mm-hmm. Um, but. I also thought that this issue was a little thin. By the by the end there's like multiple pages where they're trying to figure out how to use the orb of Ra. Yeah. And it really felt like an excuse just to take up page space. And then finally he's like, Oh, the sun, of course. And Obviously. I felt like I felt like it used like two or three entire pages to get to that point. And I felt like they were really stretching for story by the end of this. And I feel like with this book, which on its face, I still am. Every time it shows up, I'm excited to read it. And then when I read it, I think I go, ah, this isn't as good as I want it to be. And I think part of that is, you know, we got this tease about um, Tom Strong early on. And I feel like something happened that we had to wait until issue seven for this. And I feel like in between they've tried everything they could do to pad it out and get us to not notice that something happened. Yeah, I agree with that. So I don't know what it is. I could be making it up completely, but that's the gut feeling I have anytime I read this book. I don't think you're wrong. I think that for whatever editorial reason, they didn't want that to be the first arc like it was supposed to be. And so they had to move things around for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I I want this book to be good in the worst way. Make it happen, DC. Make it good again. <laughs> Next time, baby. Yep. All right, let's get to our last book of the week, which is Wonder Woman, number 51, written by Steve Orlando, illustrated by Laura Braga. Um, I I have mixed thoughts on this issue. Overall, I like this. 
I liked the sort of passage of time. I loved that new Wonder Woman costume we see a couple of times. Oh yeah. In her, oh my god. Um, it, it almost looks inspired by that Jim Lee jacket design uh, around the same time that Superman was grounded. Remember they gave Wonder Woman that new costume? Mm-hmm. But this looks like a th- oh, do I? But this looks like a <laughs> ten times better version of that costume. Um, what do you guys think of this issue? Uh, I-, I thought it was pretty good. I enjoyed it. I loved it. I was over the moon. I'm surprised to hear the kind of like hemming and hawing. I I was totally taken in by it. And it 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 almost got me choked up by the end. I think I think it was some of Laura Braga's best work. Actually, it's the best thing she's ever drawn. Um, and one of Steve Orlando's best single issues that I can remember at DC. I thought just the 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 fifty two visits that that Diana pays to Mayfly just build on one another and pay off fantastically. Um, yeah, it kicked ass. I think part of my problem is that I don't have the fondest memories of the Mayfly arc. Mm. And that that seems like a pretty slight part of the book to return to. And so I just don't, I'm not as invested in the story of why she's visiting 52 times. But well, but I enjoy the issue. I just, I just think it's not, it's not a story I would have chosen to to build off of. Sure, but I think what I think what Orlando accomplishes is probably the purest version of what the idea of Wonder Woman is. We see her fight, but she's not aggressive, and she's almost never, almost never on the attack. And she ends up solving this problem through pure compassion and kindness. You know, it's it's the antithesis or it's the antidote to um, this idea that that Diana is a warrior or in, is inheriting the the mantle of the god of war, which is something we've seen in the past, or that she needs to carry a sword around all the time. Right. You know, it's um, I think there's a time and place for that. But I think it's nice to see an entire issue where she solves this problem through pure um, empathy. Yeah. You know? I agree with that. I also felt that some of um, some of Moon's, like, uh, revelations felt a little forced. Like the whole, the respect mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, 52 visits is a long time, my friend. Yeah. That was, I think, visit twenty four, maybe. Okay, uh, but yeah, it is twenty fourth visit. Yep, it was over several years, though. Yes, it was. I bought it. I liked it. Again, I, I think I think this issue was very good. I wish it was building on something I enjoyed more, but I think Orlando. I, I think everything you've said, Vince, is correct. I think it's a it's a good, enjoyable issue. I think it's interesting that Orlando is doing like four, is it four or five issues? 
of this. I don't know the number. But like it's at least I think doesn't the Wonder Woman crossover or the Justice League Dark crossover start in like 56 or 57 yeah, I think. Yeah. So I think he's doing four or five issues. And it's interesting that he's starting this arc with a one with a one and done. Which is fine, which is good. I have no problem with it. It's just an interesting choice, that's all. And uh, and that does it for the DC3Cast this week. Uh, thank you, as always, for listening. We truly appreciate it. Let's look ahead to next week. We got uh, Adventures of the Super Sons. Ooh. We've got Batman and Deathstroke. We've got um, the Benson's We've... Green Arrow. Yes, yeah. We've got a Batman issue that might be good it, it, again. It might be good. We have a Justice League issue. That will likely be good. Yeah, this is the first tie-in Legion of Doom issue. Yeah. Mm. We have an um, issue of Mr. Miracle. Mm-hmm. We have the finale of Shade the Changing Woman. Oh, yeah. Which oh, I can already... Yeah. already um, I think I talked about that in... Um, I don't think I know I did. I talked about it in Robots from Tomorrow this week. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I'm going to have a lot of things to say about that. Okay, that's exciting. Pour one out. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's... um. And another good issue of Unexpected, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah, so we'll have lots to talk about for next time. And until then, you can follow the three of us on Twitter. I am at Brian is an app. I'm at LCD underscore lounge system. And I'm at Walker Fox. And we'll be back next week right here with more DC Comics chat. So until then, enjoy... And uh, long live Mr. Wacky. <laughs> what's, with, what's with bringing Mr. Wacky back? <laughs> oh, he never left. No, he never left. You're right. He's yeah. magic. He's official Justice League Dark candidate. Yeah. He's <laughs> he's bouncy fun. Yeah. <laughs> he's helping people. What if, <laughs> helping everybody. What, what if the solution... To this uh, source wall breach is just inflatables. <laughs> they, they blow up Mr. Wacky and stuff. In the source wall. <laughs> and everything's fine then. And all the, the new source on, wall just is inflatable. Yeah. All, all the stuff on the other side is trying to come through. is like, oh, yeah. I can't stop this. <laughs> oh, shit, it's Mr. Wacky. Turn around. <laughs> I see Seduced by Dr. Bigfoot, Attorney at Large by Chuck Tingle. <laughs> Dr. Bigfoot, Attorney at Large. Yeah, yeah. How, many, how, many, how many degrees does Bigfoot have? <laughs> well, he's, he's not a dummy. <laughs> <laughs>